conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and today I am joined by Marjani Rawls to discuss the 2006 movie X-Men The Last Stand, and oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I remember that I went to go see this in the movie theater when it came out, and my friends and I definitely expected a lot more that happened, and uh, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't great. Yeah, rewatching it, I was like, wow, I did not remember how not good this was at all. It was all over the place. It was trying to co- it was basically trying to combine um basically two story two comic book storylines and it just wasn't it was uneven. It went through like two directors before they got to Brett Radner. It was just it was doomed from the start and it was sad because we went like X2 was such a good movie and then we just got this. Yeah, and I think just that switch in directors even though obviously a lot has come out recently with people involved in the X-Men films, Brian Singer specifically where it's just like, yeah, okay, that is not good at all for any of these movies even though they're already out it kind of taints how people have felt about them and for the most part i would say there are what maybe two or three of the x-men movies not counting deadpool that people really really like and then the rest are just kind of subpar or bad (laughs) yeah it's funny especially with dark phoenix coming out this weekend seeing people's list and like seeing how people rank things, especially with like movie like X Men Origins and this one, going to it's so all over the place. Like there are great ones like First Class, and depending on who you ask, Days, Days of Futures Past, uh, and then there's ones like you know Last Stand, which people universally didn't like. Yeah, I think for me, hands down. Logan is probably my favorite of the actual X-Men films. And it's not even because there just aren't as many X-Men in it. I think they just finally really figured out what to do with that character because I already covered Logan on this not too long ago. And just seeing how they portray Logan in that versus how they portrayed him in The Last Stand, I was like, yeah, you know, it's like he puts his claws through people, but no blood comes out of anyone, which is totally unrealistic. <laughs> and it just looked so, so bad in this in comparison. And I get that not everyone is going to like the gore factor. But with Wolverine, it makes it harder when you try to avoid it with that character. And you have a great cast with these movies. They did a really nice job getting all of these big names, you know, you have Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, Halle Berry, you obviously have Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, and you just have so many other familiar names that come along with this movie. You have Sean Ashmore as Bobby Drake, you have Ellen Page as Kitty Pride, Anna Paquin as Rogue, and there's just so many familiar faces in this. To have it be as bad as it was was really, really disappointing. But what did you think of the cast overall? If there's one thing that I kind of thought rewatching this that was good 
is that it really set up for Hugh Jackman and Wolverine to kind of like be the face of the X-Men mm-hmm. because what they what happens is they kill off Cyclops really early. So they really set the stage for, I guess, what they were uh, parsing as this love story between Jean Grey and Wolverine. And a weird thing is, like, James Marsden was doing Superman Returns with Brian Singer, who left to do that movie, too. So his part is extremely small. So you see him kind of grieving over Gene from what happened in X2, but it's really quick. And then his his death is kind of just like, oh, he's not here anymore his glasses are here i guess you know we can't find his body but you know i guess you know dean gene or dark phoenix vaporized them i thought the casting was good i think kelsey Grammer as hank mccoy and beast is probably the best incarnation of that character still. yeah uh if one th- if there's one thing that this movie got right is that because i don't think that you know, seeing it, especially like, you know, especially seeing Dark Phoenix recently, like, I don't think that it's that good or whatever to as compared to that. I think Famke Jensen as Jean Grey, it was kind of weird because they had her most of the movie not even saying any dialogue. Right. Like, she's just, <laughs> she's just kind of like standing there like brooding really really brooding and mean and it's usually like magneto doing all the talking for her which is i'm like okay all right i'm pretty sure she has something to say ian mckellen and patrick stewart as you know professor x and magneto i i always thought that they were really good in this role you really see kind of especially when I guess it was surprising when I was when I first saw the movie when Professor X dies. Like you see, even though they're on opposite sides, they still have like this like brotherly love for each other, which is played up for one. I mean, people like Halle Berry, I felt like she was kind of I mean, she's there, but I felt like she was kind of downplayed a little bit. The woman really felt underutilized in this movie. Yeah. Because you have two great cast members in Halle Berry and Famke Jansen, and it just felt like they were kind of just these prop pieces. It's like you got a few good action pieces with Storm doing her thing, and same with Jean Grey. It's like, okay, she is really this love interest for both Scott and Logan, and that's really all they give her to do, you know? It's like she's either angry, destroying things, or she's the love interest, and there's no in-between, and you don't really get to know anything else about the character. You don't dive into what Professor X did to her. You all, all, all you really get is like a flashback of, you know, Professor X and Magneto, a young Magneto. I guess this is where they did the de-aging thing, which was mm-hmm. kind of cool that uh, you get to see them, like, visit her. And that's pretty much it. And then the whole scene where she goes back to her hometown or whatever, and that's, you don't really get, like, why she liked this and, and whatnot. And I've also felt that Rogue, I, I 
you know, Anna Paquin as that character, they really used her as in the decision when they're doing, you know, the the mutant cure. But there's so much they could have did with Rogue other than, you know, having her like be distraught over this decision. Like she could have helped them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Instead of being just, you know, Iceman's girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> it was just so weird how they chose to handle so many of the characters in this, but especially, like I said, the women in the movie. And even then, I was just like, there really isn't enough substance to this movie. There's a lot of consequence to it. But at the same time, I don't know if they really make us care enough about those consequences at first. And even Magneto is like, oh, what have I done? And is like, okay, you both knew how powerful she was 20 years ago. <laughs> like, you should have known this was going to happen because it was what Professor X was talking about pretty much the entire movie when he was present. <laughs> and it just felt like such a disservice to, you know, the Jean Grey storyline. And I know we were texting recently about how someone had plans to do like a trilogy. And I think given how important Jean Grey is to the X-Men comics, especially that Dark Phoenix saga run, you have to give this character more time. You know, I haven't seen Dark Phoenix yet, but I've heard it is also not good. <laughs> so it's one of those things where it's like, when is this character going to get a good movie adaptation? And it probably has to be something along the lines of, you know, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. And while not every single moment in those three movies ended up being totally perfect, you know, people speak more highly of those movies than I think they do a lot of other, especially trilogy movies. Yeah, even when we were texting, I agree that Dark Phoenix shouldn't be one movie. They've tried to do now twice doing this whole saga. And the only medium that's really got Dark Phoenix right was the animated series. It was about, I think it was, it had to be like, I'm not too sure, but it had to be three or four parts. Mm -hmm. And it was perfect because you included things like the, the She-Ra and, you know, Lalandra and Gladiator and, and things like that from the comics. I feel like basically cramming all this stuff into one movie doesn't help it. It doesn't work. You know, now Simon Kinsberg, who wrote on <laughs> The Last Stand with Zach Penn and now wrote and directed Dark Phoenix, you know, it, it just doesn't work. And you'll see with when you see Dark Phoenix, like, they try to do a more streamlined thing and that doesn't work either. So, you know especially cramming it with a storyline with, you know, with the mutant cure, which could be another movie or another series makes it all just, ugh. you know what I mean? Like now I look back at it, like look at people like who are in the movie, like the juggernaut, mm -hmm. the juggernaut was only put in that movie to run through walls, <laughs> to run through walls and to capitalize on that meme at the time with the whole, like, you know, I'm the juggernaut bitch. <laughs> Nathan, he even says it in the movie and I'm like, okay. Like, you know what I mean? That was kind of funny, but like him and Logan have history. You don't really get that 
You know what I mean? Like, and then you have, you know, uh, Worthington. Mm-hmm. He has a little storyline in it. It's, it just seems like a whole bunch of mutants just kind of thrown in just because, okay, well, we think that this was going to be the last one. And I think Brent Rather was on record saying, like, we think this was going to be the last X-Men movie. Boy, was he wrong. Yeah. But, <laughs> Fox needed to retain those rights. <laughs> yeah, like, even Trask is in the movie. But, you know, like... All right, multiple man. Uh. Yeah, they shoved so much into this movie. And I think the biggest downside for the story was they didn't pick one thing to focus on. They should have focused on either just Gene joining Magneto and sort of this underground of mutants, or they should have focused on the whole mutant cure thing. You really couldn't have both of those in the same movie and spend enough time with one or the other, because this movie was only about an hour and 45 minutes, I want to say. So it wasn't a super long movie. So, you know, you had so much to pack in, in that time frame, And because of all the X-Men that they did throw in here, it was just like, this is way, way too much. And they had to move so fast with what was going on that, you know, well, one, it didn't feel like they moved fast enough with some of the story. There were a lot of things no. that dragged out too long. And in order for it to work, they would have had to move things along at a much faster pace to just get more of the story in there. And because they didn't do that, I was left just wondering what on earth happened <laughs> at the end of this movie. I was like... Jean was in the woods a yeah. lot. A lot. She was dead, then she wasn't, then she is, and that's sort of all you really get out of it. You don't really understand why. It's just like Professor X was holding her back. We're not going to hold her back now, and then she dies because of it. <laughs> Such a disservice to the character. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and to Famke Jensen because she's she's a good actor. So you know, like for her to be mute for so long. Yeah, and then it was like. And, oh, I, I, Kitty Pride. She is in the movie, and I mean, she takes a more predominant role, kind of more in, well, a little bit more role in, you know, Days of Future's Past. But it becomes this whole love triangle between her, Iceman, and Rogue, and then, you know, Rogue sees that you know Kitty and Iceman may have a little bit of chemistry, so she leaves to go get the cure. And I'm like, okay. We had this big storyline because that that's a huge comic book storyline in there that I hope that Disney gets right. And it's really just a plot device for a love triangle. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like overarching in the background. And then you have, oh, by the way, Dark Phoenix. You know what I mean? Like this force that can basically kill everybody. And everything is like happening at once. Mm-hmm. And it seems overwhelming to watch because you can't, I can't feel sympathy for Beast trying to go to the government and try to like curtail this whole cure thing because I'm worrying about like Wolverine trying to basically talk some sense into Gene to not kill everything. And it's funny because Wolverine is the only one who could have done that because of his healing factor. <laughs> So, you know, she doesn't completely decimate him, which, I mean, I guess that's useful or whatever. But, yeah, it's just a lot. 
that is crammed into a small amount of time that just kind of and and the end of the movie teases something which they never really get around to <laughs> or explain yeah i'm glad that you brought up hank being in the government and trying to work with the government because that gave us most of the scenes with mystique and so much of that felt really unnecessary because they're all like, oh, Magneto will come break her out. And then, you know, one of the guards manages to shoot her with the cure and he just leaves her behind. It's like, okay, did we need any of that? Did we need any mystique in this movie? It did not add anything of any real value other than just sort of solidifying what we know about Magneto and that once you're not useful to him, he doesn't care. That's interesting. I liked, you know, I guess the little fight scene that had like Rebecca Romaine, I thought was a great mystique. Uh, mystique in the new current incarnations takes a little bit bigger role. Mm -hmm. Yes, because you have Jennifer Lawrence. You know what I mean? You have to be like, well, you know, we have Jennifer Lawrence, so we have to do something bigger. Uh, I agree with you, though. Like, it was weird because through these three movies, Mystique and Professor X has like this bond uh, because Magneto kind of sees her. She, you well, everybody knows that she clones into people, but like her whole, she's like this blue character and, you know, Magneto sees her as more than a mutant and whatnot. And then like the whole, when she gets cured and then he looks at her, well, you're not useful anymore because you're not one of us. Right. I get it because it shows how cold hearted, magneto is but at the same time i see what you're saying you know what i mean like it's like oh damn that really like just we're just gonna bring mystique back for that you know yeah she was maybe in i would say about 10 minutes because you have the interrogation scene with her and then when she's locked up she keeps changing into different people and you know she changes into two or three different people in that scene when i feel like they could have definitely cut that down too and just done like yeah. one or whatever. But, you know, let's say she's in about 10 minutes of the movie. That's 10 minutes they could have spent either solidifying Gene's story or, you know, giving us more about the mutant cure. Because all we really know is that there's this one poor mutant who is being locked up and can cure people. And they're basically taking the cure from him. Yeah, that was another plot line that I didn't get. It was so weird. Like, why don't we know more? <laughs> yeah. Like, why don't we know more about this mutant? You know what I mean? Like, breaking them out. Like, why? I didn't feel any connection to him. And I'm like, okay. Like The only time I felt a connection with him was when he ran up to Storm at the end of the movie and, like, walked yeah. into the school. And I was like, okay, you know, clearly they're going to pay attention to this kid. But then I don't even know if he shows up in any of the other movies later. So it's just like... Okay. No, All right. Doesn't. All right. That's cool. You guys do your thing. And I think, you know, obviously people always talk about what Marvel has accomplished because there is sort of this continuity to it that you don't really get with a lot of these X-Men films. And obviously there was a reboot and you have a younger Professor X and Magneto now, especially in Dark Phoenix. And there's just something about the X-Men franchise that has felt too disjointed to really work as a whole. And I think this is one of those movies where you could really see that happening. And obviously, you know, a lot of people liked Logan. 
And I feel like that's probably because they weren't making it feel like it was too terribly connected to everything else. You know, you have a handful of mutants and that's it. They aren't throwing things at you left and right. That one is a pretty standalone story. And yes, there are a bunch of mutants at the end of Logan because of all the kids, but you don't really need to know too much about those kids. Whereas here, they make it feel like, oh, hey, we need to know more about these mutants, but they aren't giving us that information. Well, with Logan, you know, I feel like with all these movies, it's really the story of Logan and then it was the story of Professor X. And they were the two main characters. And that felt fine. Everything else was an extension of either Logan or where he was or where he is now. And, you know, with his quote unquote daughter and whatnot, and this like father son bond that he had with Professor X, even though it was hinted that there was, of course, it was connected to this bigger universe and, you know, most of the mutants died or whatnot. It gave me time to really sympathize with Logan's journey because this guy has lost a lot. You know what I mean? Right. He's slowly dying. He's lost his love. Gene is dead. And then you have Professor Rex who can't even control his powers anymore. Like age has basically ravaged him. So you see, like you really get to see and process it because they're, you focus on basically the micro with X-Men last stand. I almost contributed to the amazing Spider-Man two is that, they tried to t- fit so much into less than two hours of story where I just didn't feel a payoff. Like I didn't feel like sympathy with what was going on with Jean Grey when you're supposed to, because in the story she's powerful, but she can't control what she's doing. You know what I mean? Like she's trying to fight it, but there's these forces inside her or whatnot that like, are turning against people who that she loves. And you, there's a certain sympathy with that. Right. Here, it's just like, they just, mutants are getting cured. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> there's a, uh, there's a mutant that they have captive that they're using the cure for. But I don't feel bad because I'm pulled in so many different directions. And then like somebody, like, like people that they've introduced, like Psylocke is in this movie. Like, but you know what I mean? You would never, if you weren't looking for it, like, you're like, oh, oh, okay. What was good about X-Men and X-Men 2 is that, feel that it would slowly build out this bigger universe. Like, you had Striker. They even teased Legion in X2 or some incarnation with him. Here it's just like, okay, well, we're going to try to, this will probably be the last movie. So we're going to try to fit everything in possibly can. And it really did a disservice to two stories. Exactly. And even though this was less than two hours, I don't think just adding on more runtime would have helped this. I think it might have just made things even more convoluted. And it was really the story that was the problem. And obviously, when you're working on scripts, they end up having draft after draft after draft. Sometimes you have other people come in and rewrites happen. And so many things happen that you really don't know what could have been unless someone releases that original script or something, or, you know, someone else had been working on the script first and they 
release that. And I don't even know if they can release those things because of just how big of an IP that Marvel is in general. I don't know if anyone would let them do that, but it's one of those things where you kind of just wonder what if about this movie. It's like, okay, what if they just had focused on one of the stories? And given that it's the last stand, I feel like you would have to focus more on the Jean Grey storyline than the mutant cure, because mutants being cured isn't really a last stand against anything. It's just people making a choice, and that's fine. But you just have so much in this, and not enough time is spent on any of it. But it really just comes down to it not feeling like it had one solid direction that it wanted to go in. Like you said, it was pulling you in all different directions. And it's just like, what am I even supposed to be thinking or feeling about this movie right now? Because at times it was hard (laughs) to figure it out. It's like, should we feel bad for Jean? Or do we not feel bad because she's extremely powerful and a danger to literally everyone? Yeah, I feel that basically when, you know, uh, when Brian Singer left, it really threw, I guess, the studio for the loop because X2 specifically teases Phoenix. So when he left to go do Superman Returns and Matthew Vaughn couldn't do it, you know, Brett Ratner, you know, he, he did Rush Hour, whatnot. But, you know, I don't know if he was particularly <laughs> into, like, doing this movie or, or whatnot. But, yeah, it just... I don't know. Like, I, I would really, because I know Joss Whedon worked on doing that gifted storyline for the comics and stuff like that. I would have loved to see him do a story, you know, this movie and whatnot. But I don't know. It's just a missed opportunity. Like, I know that they probably thought that, well, well we're not going to do another X-Men movie because this movie cost $210 million, which was like the highest budget at that time. And it only made around 450. So, I mean, it doubled, but you kind of want to do more to cover cost and whatnot. But, like, uh, yeah, I it just looking back at this movie, I thought that maybe I would sober up to it over time and rewatching it for the podcast. I did not. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I, I was like, wow, like, there are a lot of holes. And watching Dark Phoenix, which. I think it's slightly better than this movie. I, I, I did, uh, you know, yeah, I will have to, if I were ranking the movies, this and X-Men oranges origins is probably fighting for my last spot. It really is. Yeah. This is like maybe a one, one and a half out of five stars for me. It was not that great at all. And you know, you mentioned Brian Singer leaving to do other things. And in light of all of the allegations against him, it's like, yeah, I don't even really care about what his version would have looked like at this point either. Because the the X-Men franchise, it just sort of, it's not that I don't want to watch the movies ever again, because so many other people are involved in the movies. It's like, okay, you have your cast, your crew, producers, so on and so forth. And you know, not everyone is going to know Brian Singer on a personal level or anything like that. So, you know, it's hard to sort of just decide to disregard movies because of the actions of one person. And him not being involved in this obviously 
made a difference. But at the same time, it's like, but would we have wanted him involved with this, knowing what we know now anyway? And obviously, X-Men is going to be taking a new direction, being back under the ownership of Disney and Marvel and what have you. So it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward with the franchise. And I think it really is just time to sort of leave this era of the X-Men behind. I do still want the new Mutants movie, though. That's like the one thing I want out of the X-Men franchise right now. It's like Logan and that were sort of the two things that I think I was most excited for outside of, like I said, Deadpool. Yeah, I agree with you. Even watching these movies now, I'm like, ooh, Brian Singer directed it. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of tough. I mean, think of this. like, You know how much of a Superman fan I am. Superman Returns has him directing and Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. So I immediately just dis- discard that movie. I know uh, I was reading like some of the plans that he didn't really have a fully formed story for it, but they were planning on doing Emma Frost and maybe getting Sigourney Weaver for that role. Uh, I agree with you. I kind of need a break from X-Men. I-, I would really love to see especially with the MCU going in more cosmic form, them do incorporate Fantastic Four, yeah. Silver Surfer, Galactus, stuff like that. And I definitely need a break from Dark Phoenix. <laughs> it's, you know, within 13 years, we've tried the story twice and we still can't get it right. Uh, I think Feige and Marvel and Disney basically taking, all right, we're going to incorporate the X-Men at some point, but not really soon i think it gives the audience a little bit of a breath especially with the projections that are going with dark phoenix now Mm -hmm. now they're saying less than 40 million for its uh opening weekend which is really bad i i think that we all kind of need a break yeah maybe we could like with movies like logan we'll look back on it more fondly and kind of like parse those movies but for yeah for me this whole saga, and I'm thankful because X-Men was really one of the first like big budgeted comic book movies. And unfortunately, this was kind of like the big trilogy that ended kind of with a whimper. This whole saga ended me with Logan. It was done. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really go back to watch Apocalypse. I'm not going to go back and watch Dark Phoenix. I still haven't watched Apocalypse. <laughs> so that just goes to show how sort of done I was with the general team movies you know Logan caught my attention but Apocalypse just really the trailers didn't do anything for me and it just wasn't great but I do want to quickly talk about the visuals for this movie because I thought some of it looked fine and that was kind of the extent of my feelings about the visuals because you have Jean Grey with so much power And then it's like things kind of just felt like they were disintegrating in air. You know, the the people would kind of just disappear. And, you know, they spent $210 million on this movie in 2006 or, you know, prior to 2006, since it takes a while to make a movie. And at the box office, it made almost $460 million. So given how much they spent on it, That's a lot. And I bet you a lot of that money went to a lot of the big names in the cast and the visuals because you have the big fight scene at the end when they're trying to save Leech, the kid who is, you know, being held at the facility. 
And it's so dark that it's kind of hard to tell what looks good and what doesn't at times. And I think that's probably why they did Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) I do like the scenes like at the end, especially like with Wolverine, like walking up to Jean and saying, you know, trying to like talk to her or whatnot. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. And then aspects to, you know, the whole scene of Jean's home, like childhood home. And then they go. I think the house scene was better than the final big battle scene yeah well I, I think to that point i think because they basically use the same <laughs> like aspects of special effects to mm-hmm. that so when you see the house scene it just seems like it's a retread of what we just saw and at, at the end it's like oh well professor x isn't disintegrating now you know the town is you know like now she's destroying every single thing around her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I would have thought the funny thing you mentioned about like uh, signing, you know, actors and stuff like that. Only two actors were under contract for this movie. So they had to sign everybody back oh. <laughs> to do the last stand. Yeah. I guess they didn't foresee doing a third movie. So, yeah, a lot of that budget probably went back to signing, re-signing everybody. Whatnot. But, yeah, I thought they were fine, I guess, for 2006. Uh, but I think that they kind of, looking back on it, they do kind of look dated. And you could tell that they just kind of, like, retreaded scenes. All right, well, Gene will, you know, we'll just have Gene make everything into dust. I guess that's a thing that was a joke or whatnot. But, yeah. It, I, I agree with you that, you know, a lot of scenes were kind of retread, but seeing the first scene in the house was pretty cool. Like, oh, how, you know, time kind of slowed down and then you kind of see, you know, Professor X weirdly, <laughs> weirdly smile because we didn't know that he could, you know, transplant his consciousness until the end of the movie, which was a weird tease. I'm like, if you weren't planning on doing another movie than YT's that. But yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I thought adequate, you know. Yeah, that's how I felt by the end of it. I was like, they didn't blow my mind with any of the visual effects, really. And it was fine. It accomplished what I guess they were wanting to accomplish. <laughs> and it was just one of those movies where I didn't really care by the end of it. I was like, oh, Gene's dead. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I know they really tried to play. They they really tried to play up the uh, the love story, especially with Logan calling out to her like Gene. You know, I know you're still there. Blah blah. blah. And then he kills her. And I know they correct this. <laughs> Basically, Days of Futures Past is a whole course correction, or as I think Brian Singer put it, you know, I'm trying to correct the things that happened in Last Stand. And I, I, I thought it was weird, like going back to what we said earlier, they basically gave, got rid of Cyclops, whatever, you know, time concerns and stuff. So they could just have this love story between Gene and, and Wolverine, which, I mean, if you see X1 and X2, even though there are flirtations, Gene is pretty committed to Cyclops. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they're they're together. So it's just like, all right, let's just get rid of him. So the real love between Gene and Wolverine can flourish. I was like, oh, that's pretty weird. Yeah, it just felt 
off the entire time. I was like, okay, yeah, that that's fine, I guess. I don't really care for it. And, you know, I mentioned the MCU earlier and the whole thing between Natasha and Bruce and then Jane and Thor, it was one of those things where you just felt like you understood why they did what they did. But at the same time, those two characters can offer so much more than being love interests. You know, Jane is a scientist and Natasha can, you know, just assassinate everyone. (laughs) Well, I think that was, especially with Jane, that was a reason why Natalie Portman didn't really like the role because she's just kind of like this love interest for Thor. And in the comics, she actually becomes Thor. She, She gets the power. Right. And with Natasha... You see more of her character develop in uh, Endgame, which I really liked. And I hope with the standalone movie that they're shooting now that you see there's more to her character. Mm-hmm. But I've heard that criticism and I've seen it where Nat is just kind of have her like bouncing around between, you know, Bruce. And then there's this, like implied love interest with Steve. But there's more to her. Mm-hmm. Like she's one of the original Avengers, you know what I mean? So I think winding down, they kind of gave her a little bit, it's like kind of maybe a little too late with Endgame. But then again, she is getting kind of like her own movie. So hopefully they do more her more of a justice. Yeah, it just feels like with some of these superhero movies, they don't really know what to do with some of the characters. And, you know... Honestly, my guess is a lot of that has to do with how many men have written these movies. And because we've now seen, you know, what happens when you have a Captain Marvel movie, or even on DC side, a Wonder Woman movie, and you have Patty Jenkins working on that, it's like, you know, get women in to sort of help you flesh out these characters if you need to. Don't just have a bunch of white dudes (laughs) doing all of this. And, you know, some of them get it right. And that's great, but some of them don't. And I think that's where some of the movies, especially with the X-Men movies, end up falling short. Well, I will say Zack Snyder did a great introduction into Wonder Woman mm-hmm. and Batman versus Superman because he really wanted to, for her to set up into this powerful character. But Patty Jenks' home run, absolutely. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like Watching, <laughs> knowing Brett Randler's history... That's another director that is problematic and seeing how basically an older, I would say like an older superhero films, a lot of, a lot of the women are underutilized. Mm-hmm. Like they're kind of regulated to, well, they have to have a love interest or they have to be like a secondary character instead of being in the front. And I love now going forward that, you know, we have superhero movies that are a woman, a women, like, you know, say, like, look at the response for Wonder Woman. Look at the response for, you know, Captain Marvel. Uh, hopefully, you know, the Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey movie coming up. There's multiple women mm-hmm. in, like, and it's their movie. So I definitely think we still do have a ways to go, but I definitely think that we're headed into the right direction, especially letting female directors kind of direct these movies too. I I think that's a really big key. Yeah. And it's not even just that, you know, female directors should only direct movies with female leads. It's like, just let people 
direct whatever, you know, kind of thing. You know, you have yeah. Ava DuVernay working on New Gods with Tom King now. And it's like, that is something people are excited about. Even if, you know, myself, I'm not super familiar with all of the New Gods storylines, but you can bet I'll be looking into it. So I think it's just an, a very interesting time for where superhero movies are going to go next, especially with Endgame sort of being this ending and new beginning for Marvel, and then Dark Phoenix being the same thing for the X-Men with, you know, the ownership change. So it'll be interesting to see. And I know, Rajani, you'll be back on to talk about Dark Phoenix with Katie Schaefer. Hopefully, we'll get that three-person podcast worked out. It won't quite be a roundtable like Endgame, but it'll be close. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I just wish that, you know, Fox and their X-Men with Dark, their X-Men stint with Dark Phoenix could have been better, mm-hmm. you know, because you have the Logans, you have the Deadpools, like they've done good work, but they seem to up- undercut themselves where the movies are so bad that people, but they stick out so much. So like, it's like you have an interesting movie like the Wolverine, but because X-Men origins is so bad, you kind of forget about it, you know? Yeah, and then you have Logan, which was better than both of those. So it's like, okay, you know, sure, you finally got it right with that character. But for a lot of the others, it's just like, eh, okay, all right, you did your thing, time to move on. Mm -hmm. But thank you so much for watching this bad movie again (laughs) to, (laughs) to talk about this. And it will definitely fit right in with the Dark Phoenix episode once we get that all planned out. Yeah. And... As always, to our listeners, you can find us at Geekdom Pod on Twitter, at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram, and thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.